Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. This episode, we're going to be talking about machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I'm joined by Gareth Edwards, who is the head of data science and machine learning at Software, and Yemi Olugbay, who is our head of sales. Welcome, guys. Could you maybe introduce yourselves and your role and give me an interesting fact about you? Okay, so I'm Gareth Edwards. Uh, yeah, my role is building the machine learning and data science team within Software. So exploring some really interesting kind of projects around machine learning. I guess I'm most famous within software for being the subject of a Labour Party conference talk by David Miliband. No, Ed Miliband. (laughs) (laughs) A few years ago. And I'm Yemi Ogbai, head of sales, um, look after the execution of our, um, our, our sales strategy. And an interesting fact about myself, don't know how interesting it is, is that I was on the second series of first dates before they had Fred the maitre d'. So there you go. We can all look that up now and see see Yemi having a uh, moderately successful day. (laughs) (laughs) So the World Economic Forum predicts that by 2025, autonomous driving will save 9% of accidents and 900,000 lives. Um, According to Adobe, 15% of enterprises are using AI and 31% are expected to in the next 12 months. A recent report by Accenture explained that 82% of company surveys showed that machine learning enabled processes to find solutions to unsolved problems through data that they hadn't been able to tap. And finally, 88% of organizations using machine learning have seen a 200% increase in KPIs in the enterprise processes. So these are pretty impressive statistics. Are the machines going to take over? Is that what we can take away from these numbers? Well, I, I mean, I think machine learning is clearly here to stay. And what we've seen over the last two or three years, I guess, in particular, is the emergence of a lot more kind of commodity machine learning products that people can use in situations without perhaps having quite the level of academic expertise that was needed to, to deliver these kind of solutions in the past. So things like uh, OCR, voice recognition, uh, which are kind of common to a lot of organizational needs and a lot of kind of business processes, are things that you can deliver with almost off-the-shelf AI. So those kinds of things, I think, are really growing. That's perhaps slightly at odds with the public perception of what AI means. So and I think that that's a really common issue that we come across is, is you know, dealing with that chasm between people, what people think AI means in terms of, you know, all sentient computers that just do everything without any human intervention versus the the reality which often is more like you know incremental but still significant improvements to to things that computers are doing already so so i'm going to counter that and talk in in layman's terms because i'm I'm, i don't run software (laughs) data science in AI department so do correct me if i'm wrong but i i think that there is still a very real execution of, of AI and these these kind of learning algorithms that does present a threat of taking over in inverted commas, but taking over of more sort of subtle and, and kind of novel sort of aspects of, of human nature. So one of the things that I looked into recently was there was a really interesting TED talk and it, it talked about this idea of, of persuasion architecture. And you've kind of you've, you've got that in, in shops, right, where you, you, you go and you have the sort of the little thing at about waist height by the cash, uh, the cash desk. That, that it's a way of persuading you. Do you know what I mean? At, at that moment in your shopping journey, oh, well, actually, you know, you, you, your kids are there holding your hands, nagging you, why don't you go and buy that thing? When you then apply sort of AI algorithms to that and, and apply that in the digital world, then it does start to sort of 
less take over, but take away from that sort of natural human ability to make the decision yourself or, or, or know that you're making your own decision on I am buying this thing online on, on Amazon or, or, or wherever because that's that's my choice as opposed to an algorithm that's been collecting all this data on me and is is constantly sort of pushing certain things to guide my decision making as far as purchasing goes. And actually furthering on from that in in the sort of the, the social media sphere and, and the sort of the political arena there's a taking over of kind of your own ability to make political decisions based on information that that is true sort of unbiased and fair represented information as opposed to this echo chamber that you end up having because you know there's ai within social media that that is driven by advertising that then means that okay well if we can just focus you on this little narrow view of of what the world is then you're going to make x y and z decision so in that degree, I, I, I do think there is an element of taking over. Yeah, no, and I think, I mean, we, I think we're going to talk about this a bit more later, but there's definitely a huge risk in allowing AI systems to take decisions in particular and taking that decision-making ability away from humans. And as people roll out these systems more widely, then, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think uh, if you look at how these kind of systems are being developed and measured, you know, typically you're looking at training the system to, to target some specific metric in terms of, you know, customer conversions mm. or the success of, of loans that you're making. But by just training it on the, you know, pure hard numbers, you lose a lot of the kind of uh, human factors and, and you can end up, you know, magnifying all sorts of unpleasant kind of side effects. So allowing AIs to, to take over too much from humans is a real issue. But I think it's also one that's really very much in the forefront of a lot of people's minds, which isn't to say that doesn't mean there are others who are using it inappropriately. Yeah. The AI is is, is is only as dangerous as the intentions behind it rather than the AI itself, right? No, I, I think there's, there's many examples of well-intentioned things going wrong because people don't think through the consequences of what they're doing. Um, there was a great example from, I can't remember where I read it, an article about, you know, what happens if you if you have a slightly smarter general AI and the, the challenge of how do you turn it off? And if you design an AI of any level of sophistication, then mm. almost any kind of set of ethical rules that you try and apply to it will imply that it should resist all attempts to turn itself off. And you can have all sorts of keep constructing kind of exceptions to this and it gets more and more complicated. But ultimately, mm. if, you've, if you've designed this thing into a system and you're always training it towards some goal, mm. but actually that's, that's a really dangerous thing because humans are constantly applying all sorts of kind of subtle sense checks to everything that they're doing and all the decisions that you're making. Mm. Uh, and when you take that out of human hands, then you open yourself up to these kind of counterintuitive decisions that can come about occasionally and, and be damaging. So it's clearly a massive area with a lot of scope. So if you're running a business and you're thinking, well, I need to be taking advantage of machine learning and AI, What's the best way to go about, you know, starting this and looking into it? Yeah, so I think it's about looking for areas where AI can bring you benefits. And and there's a real variety of use cases. I think if you look at kind of, the, there are businesses that are out there which are, you know, they're built around AI and particularly kind of startup businesses where building something which is really novel and, you know, groundbreaking and, and building that off the back of some kind of AI research those kinds of businesses, obviously, there's a, it's a huge kind of that is an academic process. There's a lot of effort into building those kinds of things. So, but that's kind of breaking new ground, building something new. But probably for an established business, um, you're looking at areas where there are things which are currently done by humans, where actually um, you can take advantage of AI's ability to 
to help you with decision making, if not make the decisions for you, to automate processes that at the moment are done by humans. So, for example, um, things like data processing, where there are you know quite repetitive jobs that actually sometimes are quite are too difficult to do by a computer as it stands without the kind of AI enhancements, but. But given some of the more sophisticated things, you can actually move that a level beyond and you can, can realise big savings there. So, uh, but, but that's kind of an extension of what software development can bring to businesses anyway. I think it's, it's in that sense, it's, it's a set of new tools that you can bring. I guess it's also a set of tools that allow you to, you know, like you were saying in terms of the, the sort of the vastness of data and the complexity of data, a set of tools that allow you to react more dynamically to the market because software engineering and IT has become such a sort of integral part of all businesses and how they work and, and there's this this constant drive to have to continuously compete with someone else that's always developing something um, more sort of innovative technology-wise. AI as a tool for business gives you the ability to react much quicker to the change in your user base and, and sort of the customer experience that you're, you're trying to give for whatever product or service. Something that we haven't talked about is data science, which obviously there, there are links to AI and machine learning. But what should businesses be doing to make the most of their data? It needs to be driven by business needs. And I think you can, as an organisation, if you understand what data you have or even what potential there is for you to collect data and then think about, you know, but ultimately your data is only there to help you make decisions. And, and so really it's going to be different for every business, but what you need to be doing is looking for areas where uh, actually you're making decisions perhaps without the full benefit of data that you could collect and then kind of working backwards from there to work out what data you need or or vice versa like if you're a business that is collecting a lot of data then kind of doing some kind of audit of that data and working out well actually where is the value in this and what can I use this for in order to kind of help my business or get real kind of actionable insights out. I think you're exactly right. There's a lot of people that I speak to that have a bit of a, almost a sort of a paralysis by the, you know, the buzzwords that are going on and, okay, everyone's talking about AI, so, you know, this is something that I need to get involved with as well. But exactly as you say, it's all driven by what are the things that you do as a business? What are the decisions that you need to make as a business that further your business goals? And is there a way that that can be ameliorated through the collection and extraction of insights from data as opposed to everyone's talking about AI, so I should probably do something about that. What do I do? Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not like a secret source that you can just drop into your business and everything yeah. will become magical. It's, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you've really got to understand your business well and working out how these new tools can, can benefit your business is, is a really tricky problem to solve. Um, but it's, it's, it's obviously one that's a huge interest in at the moment. And now processing power is ever increasing. Does that mean it's, it's good to just keep collecting more and more data, like as much data as you can get is a good idea? Uh, no, no, quite the opposite. <laughs> um, um, I mean, from a legal perspective, if, if nothing else. But again, I think this is part of all of the same conversation is, you know, a lot of businesses don't understand the data they have, and that inhibits them both getting value out of it. And it also means that, that they're at risk of not using it in a sensible or, dare I say, legal way. And, and actually, there are plenty of ways where you can collect valuable data that, that don't fall foul of kind of privacy concerns, but you need to be really careful about the data you're collecting. I think it would be quite interesting to talk around like practical examples of systems that we've developed at Softwire and what the, what the challenges were there. So one project which, uh, which we're working on at the moment is around uh, extracting kind of useful information from um, scanned documents. 
So the company we were working for, they are a kind of research organization. They try and collect um, huge quantities of data, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of records a day. They have these in as photos, often low quality photos. At the moment, their way of processing that is to uh, ship them off to data processing centers where people just sit there and, and look at each image and type out whatever information they can get out of it. That that has all sorts of disadvantages. You can imagine it's expensive. They don't actually get very much of the data as a kind of proportion of what's available. So we've been looking at how to how to get that process kind of working more smoothly using kind of machine learning techniques. And that starts off with OCR. And, and actually for the OCR, we're just using an off-the-shelf product. And I think, you know, that's such a solved problem. And that's a great example of one of those areas where AI is touching you in a way that, but that you can use really easily. The sophistication required to, to take advantage of the OCR is very low. But, but what comes out of that is kind of unstructured data that's really hard to interpret. So the real challenge for us on that project has been training these models and building a, a processing pipeline that takes the scrappy data that's coming out of the OCR and working out what is the, the meaning of each of these pieces of data and, and converting that into something that's structured and something that, that can be then fed in for, for proper analysis. One of the things we're talking about there is processing data in the form of photographs which is essentially quite a, a dense, you know, we're used to thinking of data, well, I'm used to thinking of data as numbers and spreadsheets, which is actually a very simple format for the data to be in. And so one of the things you're doing is taking this complex format and paring it down or, or extracting data from it. As we are creating more and more of these types of data, you know, we're creating audio, we're creating video, is this where, you know, machine learning is really going to, come to the fore in terms of processing these complex forms of data into simpler forms? I mean, it's certainly an area where there's lots of opportunities to to use machine learning. And I think we're seeing machine learning models in all sorts of, yeah, audio and video processing um, tasks, which can perform well. And, and actually, if you look at development of um, like compression algorithms and this kind of thing, they're already becoming incredibly complex and really the things that are kind of designed by humans are breaching some kind of complexity threshold where it's really hard to make progress. And you see in kind of research context, people who are, who are approaching the same problems by saying, well, can we, can we develop a, a machine learning model that will do you know, compression for, as an example? It's a nice, easy one where you can measure the output really easily. And the machine learning approaches can, can get close to what you know, human experts have been spending years doing, but just in that, in, in that kind of training and, and self-reinforcing way. So it's a great example, but I think it's probably also it's a, it's a much more specialist one. And, and uh, in a business context, I think you know, the, that machine learning thing is, is probably is going to be more about, though, simple numbers, but, but more of them. So handling big data scenarios handling data from yeah from from large numbers of customers for example orders and all, all this kind of data which is just too big to deal with otherwise and actually getting insights out of that yeah we talked about facebook and google and all these companies who you know how are they dealing with this i think what's actually more interesting worrying i don't know um is um if you look at some of the the kind of point and click machine learning tools that are coming out so if you go onto um, azure or aws and look at some of their machine learning offerings you can build something, you know, really trivially. You know, you, you drop in your source data set, you, you, you give it some data to train on, and it will spit out a machine learning model that will do predictive analysis for you. And that's an incredibly powerful tool to be able to have, and you can build something really sophisticated. But at the same time, you don't have any of that perhaps kind of ethical context around it to, to know, is this a smart thing to do? And I could, you know, you could well imagine people using 
building a model like that in five minutes and then using it for a purpose that is really one that should have some kind of human intervention. Something they should be thinking about a bit more and understanding a bit more, not just adding it in exactly. five minutes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that brings us really nicely onto um, talking about ethics. So I think that machine learning and AI, there's there's obviously ethics to be considered in all aspects of technological development. But in machine learning and AI, there seems to be a real potential here for misuse and unethical uses. So where does the responsibility lie for this? Who, whose job is it to make sure that, that these tools aren't being misused? Personally, I think it's a collective responsibility from everyone involved, because I think the moment that you... You know, I mean, we've had like several discussions with this within software, and I think that one thing that I do find a shame is 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 if the responsibility is is tied exclusively to sort of the the development and engineering staff as opposed to the business, because then that you know those those are the people at the forefront of of kind of where some real innovation and and you know let's think positively and say innovation for good can can be had, but at the same time you know, I guess a a business in the same way that it will have ethical sort of rules of conduct around, I don't know, various things within its operation. It's just about applying that same kind of baseline, you know, moral value and ethical sort of codes to to that. I'd argue also that governments and and kind of, I I don't know, should be a bit, (laughs) there's a bit of a catch-up game to be played there, basically. But without without them catching up and being a bit more at the forefront of all of this, I mean, you basically run the risk of, like the example Gareth said, of just kind of, you know, businesses on the fringes of, of this that don't really understand what they're doing, kind of running amok with these kind of solutions that, that that can grow into these unwieldy sort of beasts. So I feel like there are several different stakeholders that all kind of have a collective responsibility to just think <laughs> before doing <laughs> Yeah, I, I think there was a great example in the press a few months back around, I can't remember which company it was that was using, it might have been Amazon actually, who were using um, an AI tool to evaluate job applications to to decide who got invited to interview. They trained it on the data that they had from all of their previous interviews and the the model kind of picked up on you know one of the key distinguishers being that minority ethnic candidates were almost always, and women, um, were almost always rejected. So there was a strong, uh, an extremely strong correlation in the model between being a, a white man and getting a job. And actually, when they put the model into production, they found that, you know, that that uh, continued to be the case. And actually, that kind of outweighed any other factor. And it had um, almost kind of encoded it. It did, exactly. And it, yeah. it, it, any model will encode biases that are present in the data that you use to train it. And people don't necessarily realise that. And people may not know that there is a bias in, in the training data that you're giving. What was really interesting to me about that example, though, was Amazon were obviously measuring it, and so they, they did spot that this was a problem. But the solution to, to that challenge was to, to turn off the AI process and go back to the same manual process that had produced the training data. And everyone seemed really excited about this as a, as a great move, you know, a very ethical move to turn this thing off. But no one questioned the, actually, so you're going back to the same data which you know generated this this extremely biased training set. So although there's a risk there, perhaps there's also a benefit in the sense of you can measure what's going on and, and if you are behaving sensibly and you are tracking what's going on, then then it gives you a way of saying, 
I can at least work towards building a model that doesn't have these biases in. So there's an opportunity to use the fact that we're scrutinising these processes more closely to actually perhaps go back and scrutinise other processes that we didn't, we assumed were yeah. uh, unbiased because there were humans running them, whereas in fact humans are not perfect either. Indeed. I mean, it's obviously it's a bit of a minefield because, you know, then you, you've kind of just set a new training target of being fair in terms of the number of jobs you're giving to men versus women. And again, if you just set that as the new target for your AI training data, then, then you you've just run the risk of having something similar so you know it's a really subtle thing and I think that's that's one of the challenges with AI is it, is it requires a level of kind of statistics understanding from the people using it which is often not present in programmers who might be used to kind of other ways of, of development. Just to touch on one thing that Zoe said there of, of human beings not perfect is there also an argument to say that you know as well as being you know aware of the ramifications and sort of factoring that in and thinking about the ethics that that you also just have to accept that actually whatever you produce isn't going to be perfect. And I'm not saying that that, that gives you the opportunity to just sort of acquiesce and say that's fine. But, but it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be somewhat immature in its early stages, but it's something that you're, you're continuously iterating on and continuously improving on because it's, it's, you don't just get to that point where you create something uh, algorithmic that's perfect in terms of its unbiasedness and, and, and whatnot. It's something that's kind of developed over time. Yeah, no, exactly. I think I think there's a there's a case to be made for saying you know you can use AI as something, and if you're working ethically, mm. yeah, work towards that kind of thing. Ultimately, people feel very strongly about this, though, and I think if you tell people that their fate is going to be decided by AI um, model that's been trained and is making decisions versus a human, then even if you know you can look statistically at the two and 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 see that there's no difference between them, people feel some, there's something wrong about their fate being judged by an AI and them not having some way of intervening with a human to to address that and you know so we have to respect that and I think it is you know it's an important part of it. Yeah I mean something you mentioned was about kind of governments needing to catch up so do you think there's legislation that's needed as well as kind of saying well companies should be good and they should worry about things is there a case for the government saying well actually you have to act in this way or you have to produce this data or it has to be transparent i'd go i'd I'd, uh, yes and no i think the the real task is just kind of feeding more technical awareness into governments that i remember watching the thing at congress with mark zuckerberg and the whole cambridge analytica thing and it just it just shocked me the level of just ineptness at some of the people there that just had no clue about how the the modern digital world works and i think sort of as much as we encourage people of all backgrounds to get into sort of the the, the tech space and, and, and into engineering and whatnot, I feel there's the same drive that needs to happen in terms of how how societies are governed and getting technology in, into those sort of legislative positions so that they are able to make the right decisions moving forwards. I mean, it's worth saying that, that um, GDPR does cover some of these things explicitly and that point around not using um, algorithms to, you know, opaquely to make decisions about um, kind of human outcomes is, is covered by some of the GDPR provisions. So um, That's Europe though, isn't it, as opposed to the US? Yeah, yeah. It, it. I mean, GDPR is a European piece yeah. of legislation, but in practice, it's quite far reaching. So oh, okay. um, people really should be paying attention to it. Wherever they are. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much to my guests, Gareth and Yemi. And join us next time for Software Tech Talks.